Oh, hello, and welcome to the Community Experience Podcast. We are so glad you're here. If you're one of our regulars, you're probably wondering why we haven't published in a while. We actually chose to sunset the show in early 2023, but the feed will stay active because so many of the episodes are timeless. If you want to learn more and search our back catalog, you can visit smartpassiveincome.com slash cxpodcast, all one word. I think that connecting people is valuable. My mission in life is to have that work be recognized and paid for. A lot of people building these kinds of businesses are not charging enough and they're waiting for this future time when their audience is going to be big enough. And what's actually happening is a lot of community founders are burning out. They're not making enough money. Everyone thinks of community as something that should be free and it's not, it shouldn't, and you should charge what your worth is. Well, hello, and welcome to this episode of the Community Experience Podcast. I am your hostess, Jillian Benbow. And today we are talking to somebody I kind of know, you know, internet friend know, of course, because that's how it works now. Um, today, I'm talking to Tatiana Figueredo, whose last name I asked before we started recording. And then as I introduce her in the episode, I say it wrong immediately. And then I say something to be like, Ugh. so you will hear that you are in on the joke now because I am not hooked on phonics and I can't pronounce anything. So apologies, Tatiana. <laughs> But Tatiana is amazing. She runs businessofcommunity.co and she helps people learn how to make their community an actual business. And I love it. This is basically just like two community friends having a conversation about things. We tried not to derailed too far on tangents, but we had a blast. We came up with my next book's title, you know, my next book, because I have so many that I've written. So my first book's title that I will never write. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. So I hope you enjoy this. I think anybody doing anything in community will absolutely get some good tidbits. But most especially something I love about Tatiana is she is very intelligent with understanding and then helping people with how to price a community. And so we talk about pricing, membership pricing, and we have opinions. So I hope it is helpful to you. I will see you on the other side of the interview. Here is my conversation with Tatiana. Welcome back, community family, to this episode of the Community Experience. And I'm so excited because I get to talk to somebody who does very similar things and is super deep in all things community. So buckle in because we are going to nerd out in the best way. Let me introduce you to Tatiana Figueredo. 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 <laughs> Let me introduce you. We're off to a great start. <laughs> Excellent. Tatiana, welcome. Tell us about you. Who are you? What do you do? Yeah. Thank you for having me, Jillian. I'm so excited. I'm a loyal listener of the podcast. Oh, yay. (laughs) My name is Tatiana. I'm a community strategist and a business coach. And what I do is 
I help community founders build profitable businesses on the internet. So anything from membership communities like SPI Pro all the way to cohort-based courses, I teach people and I coach people on how to really bring themselves to their business and build a business that has community at the core of it. Oh my gosh. You must be so busy right now. Just (laughs) considering that like community has become such a, like a buzzword in like for better or for worse, but I'm sure you are getting all sorts of calls for help, especially for, and I'm curious, actually, let me know. Do most people come to you at the very beginning or do they come after they've launched it realizes like, Oh wait, this takes work. I need help. Who comes to you the most? (laughs) Usually the second one. I think that's (laughs) I think that's right. But I think (laughs) as community people, we've been doing a better job at scaring people from starting new communities lately. Yes. (laughs) Like just saying, this is a lot of work. Look at my stressed out face. So I think it's improving a little bit, but usually it's, and I think it's better anyway, someone who has already tried out building a community kind of has some experience and like knows what's working and what's not working, they have already formulated their questions. Um, So usually that's when people reach out to me. Yeah. Okay. That sounds good. Yeah. I can only imagine just because I know in my experience, I'm kind of, you know, on the soapbox, like, Hey, I know it's a marketing buzz thing right now, especially with the pandemic, but it actually takes a skill set and work. So just, you know, you will have to put work in and you don't, it's not a set it and forget it, which it's like the total buzzkill. Right. But it's true. Yeah. And I'm excited to teach those skill sets and to train more people on how to actually do it in in a way that, you know, doesn't burn them out. Absolutely. Because even as a full time community manager, I would often get burned out. And like and that's why I'm always talking about boundaries and prioritizing your own mental health over because the community never sleeps. Right. And so if that is my profession and I struggle with it, like, of course, a business owner is going to have the same and they have so many other things to think about as well. So you have a course, the Build a Community Business course. Do you also work with people one-on-one? What are all the things you do? I I actually started out doing consulting. So working one-on-one with people who, like we were saying, like we're launching new communities. Before that, I actually ran a community for women in tech here in New York that was mostly in person. And at the same time, I was also working at a startup that was building community within really big companies. That's kind of where my experience came from. And then I started doing one-on-one consulting with people who were launching new communities, relaunching them. That business got really big during the pandemic when people were moving in-person communities to online And then from there and from all that I had been already thinking about as like a little community soul from a very young age, I started to build out some frameworks and some things that seemed very teachable, things that I was saying over and over again to to clients one-on-one. But now we're, we're expanding the business so that we can do both. So both for people who are earlier on and want to learn all the different pieces of building a community business in a cohort with other people and also people who just need more of the hands-on help and need more, more people on their team to, to get a community off the ground. So we do both now. Oh, that's amazing. I love it. I'm curious talking to people who as adults get into community and then talking about like childhood interests and personality, it's always just fascinating to me. So tell me, like, do you feel like you've always kind of been a natural community builder and then 
you know, as an adult figured out like, wait a minute, I can utilize this skill set as a career? Or were you bringing people together at a young age? (laughs) I was. So I always think that community builders have their little origin stories. And mine was that my family moved from Brazil, where I was born, to New York when I was 10. So 10 is like, I don't know, for me, it was a really formative age. I was like, I had a little group of friends and that I was leaving to go to a whole other country where I didn't speak the language. And it was that experience of having to pay attention to like this whole new culture and get used to this new culture that really kind of, I think, set me up to start thinking about belonging, start thinking about connections, start thinking about what community can be. because. It was almost like I was like manually making friends. Like it was like so natural up to that point. But then when you get here, you're like, oh my God, I really have to figure out what clothes I need to wear and what I need to say and like literally how to speak a whole other language. And I think that all of that is relevant when you're an adult and you're building community. So I think it was from there. I had other jobs that were not in community. When I first started working, I was in sales. But I think that the way I approached a sales role was very much community. I was like younger than anyone doing that role and I didn't know what I was doing. So I would like host these big dinners. I would ask all these questions. I would get so curious about what people were were doing because I had no other choice. Like I really didn't know what I was doing. And then when I was in startups and I was in product, I think product and community are really, really connected. It's all about having conversations, being really curious about people, conflict resolution, making sure everyone's on the same page. So I think I was always approaching things from this community lens. What about you? I just, I love it. And I can relate because we moved a lot when I was a kid. So kind of different, but, but similar. And my family's Canadian, so different side of the border mm-hmm. <laughs> coming to the U.S. So it was just dependent where we lived at the time. So I was born in Chicago, so I have dual citizenship. But then my brother, who's younger, we actually lived in Trinidad and Tobago, which is wow. closer to Brazil. It's off the coast of Venezuela. So we lived there when my mom was pregnant with my brother. So she actually like went to Canada to have him. So he's Canadian. Anyways, so we moved like every few years and lived in different countries all over the US, you know, in Canada. So I, I, I feel your pain on just the when you get uprooted and then you have to start over in a whole new social dynamic. But you, it's much more because one, you had 10 years in one place and like really culture, like it was an entire culture. And then to go to the US, also go to the New York in the US, like, you know, it's its own set of culture and I can only imagine. And then the language thing too. So bravo to you. I hope you found your people without too much pain. I know I've, I always think of like my childhood was very like kind of lonely. I was definitely very insular and quieter than I am now, I guess, because I was always the new kid. Yeah, I relate to that. I think, I think that a lot of community people do. I think a lot of people who are drawn to this work there is some experience in their childhood that they're bringing out in the work that they do. It doesn't have to be moving countries. It could be parents getting divorced or much smaller things, switching schools, being left out when you're getting picked for a sports team or something like that. I think we all had these experiences and I think, I think they shape 
more of us than we give them credit for. And I think that part of doing this work is also healing that part of you that was 10 years old and lost in a new country or in Trinidad and Tobago, trying to figure out um, how to behave in a new culture. I, I think part of this work has such an opportunity to bring out those parts of us. I think it's really nice. It is. It is. And I think there's something really beautiful about, especially, you know, those of us that have those experiences and we recognize it. And so we have empathy and which is such a key thing in community to, you know, not everyone in a community is going to get along all, all the time. It's not all sunshine and roses. And also just being able to look and be like, that person really does it. Like, I'm going to check in on this person because they might be perfectly happy as a lurker, if you will, for lack of a better term, or as an observer. Somebody said they use the term observer instead of lurker. And I'm like, that sounds nicer. Because some people are more than that. They're totally happy in that. But other people, you check in with them and they're like, well, actually, I, I'm super intimidated. I don't know where because it's like school all over. They see all this stuff happening. And it's like, oh, I want to go do the thing that all the other kids are doing. But can I just join or how does this work? And so it's so important for us as community builders to be able to see that and kind of understand that in a way to, to help bring those people into the community. I totally agree. Belonging is really fragile. So there are these tiny moments where you notice someone, oh, they don't have their camera on. Why don't they have their camera on? Then they usually do. What's going on? Or you notice that someone used to always show up and they're not showing up. It's easy to just kind of brush it off and not do what you're doing, which is reaching out to them and seeing what's going on, but always keeping that in mind. Everything that I'm saying could be excluding someone here. How can I always make sure to kind of bring people back into the fold? I'll give you an example. I hosted some public events in the last year or so, and I made a lot of internet friends. So there are people who I know who I have inside jokes with when I'm hosting or even attending some of these events. And I started to notice that that could be excluding the people who I don't know yet and who are just coming to, to the event. I, now I try to make a point of when someone is saying something in the chat that I know no one else is going to understand because it was from like a course we took together six months ago or something else. And they're just talking to me, making sure that like one, I, I explain what the joke is and call it out so that everyone is in on it. And two, that I say, like, I know this person because I met them on a, an event that's just like this. So it's not like, we're not cousins. Like we, we don't know each, we know each other from the internet, just like we know each other from the internet Totally, and just that making it more accessible so that people see that we're all friends and you're not joining a little click that's already happening. Yeah. Oh, and that's so powerful too, right? Because you're bringing them in on the joke and, and saying like, I met this person just like how I'm meeting you and we have this rapport and now we all have it. And just that inclusivity to the new people, but also the nod to the people you have established relationships. Like that is just excellence at its finest. As we're talking, I'm like, it's kind of just high school. All <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which is terrifying. But I think as community builders, like we are trying very hard to be the kind, reliable person that it's not about popularity. It's about let's all do this. And so who would that be? Student council? I don't I don't even know. Like, come sit at my table. Point is, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like we're just we're here to to hang with everyone and 
and, and have fun and make it fun. Are we the prom committee? I don't know. I didn't go to a traditional high school, so I should not be speculating on this. <laughs> I was on the prom committee. <laughs> oh, well, see, you would know. That'll be our temporary term. So <laughs> we think of a better one. I also don't want to all of a sudden turn community into anything to do with high school. <laughs> but I keep going there. So I'm curious, do you have the, a course and it's a cohort based course? So you have a lot of like live interaction with different people looking to build community. What's a common thread you see pop up with those people? Like, I guess, what about community do they know the least about? What are you helping them with the most? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, there are many answers to this. The course itself, I think, is unique because it focuses on what I call community businesses. So not a big company that is launching a community to support a product or anything like that, but people who... Um, are making a, a business out of connecting people with each other, like what you do. And a lot of the challenges that I see are kind of like in the intersections of the different parts of building this kind of business. So how do you market a product that is around connection? Like, how do you do that in an intentional way that prioritizes the people you're speaking with and is not fear-based and is in alignment with the values of your community, for example. Um, and then on the community side specifically, one thing that I see a lot of people make is not, not taking enough time to design the, the experience that, that they're building. So I talk about the three levels of connection that you need in a community. So you need the, the big group connection, which is all of the experiences that involve everyone and where you're reinforcing why you're there and the values that the community has. There are small group experiences, which is about like enforcing an identity that you have within the community that you're in. And small groups are usually how people make friends. So ideally they're meeting each other over and over again. I know that you'll have masterminds, for example, that's a great small group structure but any small group structure will work. And then the last one is making sure you're encouraging one-on-one -on -one connections. So a lot of people join communities. Their secret motivation of joining community is to make new friends. And it's almost like a thing we don't advertise as community builders um, as much because it makes people feel a little bit losery. Um but it is a real thing that we are all looking for. And it's when I think about the reasons why I join communities, that's one of the reasons. And as community builders, finding ways that we can encourage those one-on-one -on -one connections in a way that makes people feel comfortable. And yeah, that is, again, in alignment with your values. So I think that it's a combination of those three levels of experience that makes for a really tight community experience for people where they're going to be getting all of their needs met through the community. And a lot of times when people come to the course, they have only big group experiences or they haven't thought about one-on-one -on -one at all. So just balancing that out is one of the, the challenges that people have. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. And I love how you put that because it's so true that like, I can see the like funnel you know, of like the big to small, the small being those one-on-one -on -one connections. And it can be hard, especially the larger the community. What do you recommend to help people 
go through that friendship funnel. Oh my gosh, the friendship funnel, if you will, of like from the big group. And then obviously there's some sort of like, like you said, we do masterminds. Um, other communities might do other type of like smaller groups, but like, especially from that small group to the one-on-one, are you recommending people focus on from that small group? Like the people they find there is where they start making the one-on-one connections in the friendship funnel. I love that friendship funnel. Right. Um, I'm looking forward to your, your, your book called the friendship funnel. I love that. Oh my gosh. (laughs) We have a title. (laughs) Whenever I'm thinking about something in community, I think about real life first. And I think about how something that happens in real life maps to what we're talking about in online communities. This is a slight tangent, but I feel like social media has made interactions really artificial and really has like forced us to interact with each other in this way that's not natural. Because like if you post something on Twitter, it's almost like you and I are having a personal conversation, but somehow literally anyone in the world could hear what we're saying. That's not a real thing in real life. But I think smaller online private communities they do map really closely to things that happen in real life. So whenever I get any kind of question about community, the, my first instinct is to think about how things happen in real life and how we can use that to design an experience that will work online. So small groups, for example, if you think about, like you literally think about the way that you became friends with anyone that you're good friends with now, you probably met them through some kind of a small group. Like you were, you went to school together and you were in the same class or you played a sport together or you worked together on a team. All the people who we actually become friends with, we go through this period where we're just kind of seeing them casually in a group where it's comfortable and it's not like too intimate right away, but we're getting familiar with them. We're understanding a little bit more about them until you're ready to say like, hey, you and I, let's get coffee or you and I, let's go do something together. So there's that pro- that like phase in the friendship where you're just kind of feeling each other out and that's safer to do within a group. That's kind of the role that I see that small groups play in leading to the one-on-one connection. And then I think as the community builder, our role is to design those experiences in a way where you are, like, if you're thinking about your friendship funnel, you're nudging them along through to the funnel. If you're connecting people in a small group, can you encourage them to, after the small group meeting, send out everyone's contact information and say, like, hey, follow each other on Instagram if that's how your community communicates. Or you can DM each other or give them a way to kind of go deeper into those relationships when they're ready. I love that. There is something about having like a nudge, right? To be like, this is okay. You should do this. Yeah. I'm writing a note to myself because <laughs> I don't think I do that consistently. So I need to, I want to do an experiment now in the friendship funnel, which I think might have to be the title of this episode. You heard it here first. Tatiana and I coined it. Ha <laughs> <laughs> We already talked about people assume that it's going to be really easy to run a community-based business. What other things do people often assume that then during the course kind of get the real, the real info? The other thing is people who are building these kinds of businesses are not charging enough. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think that connecting people is valuable and 
I think my mission in life is to have that work be recognized and be paid for. And I think that, yeah, a lot of people building these kinds of businesses are not charging enough and they're waiting for this future time when their audience is going to be big enough and then they're going to be able to like, yes, they're only charging $10 a month, but they're going to have like 2000 people in their community and maybe that'll be enough. And in my experience, it's just charging $10 for something doesn't lead to eventually charging more for it or to getting more people to join. I think that you should start with something that feels sustainable to you and feels right. And then you can charge less later. But I would start with something that is enough of a value that you feel good charging for it. And then later figure out how to serve more people and how to change that. And also like, that doesn't mean not being inclusive. I have a ton of, there are a ton of ideas in the course about how to be inclusive and include other people who belong in your community, but can't necessarily afford it for many different reasons. But I think that what's actually happening is a lot of community founders are burning out and they're not making enough money. And then they end up having to shut down their communities because it hasn't been thoughtfully laid out or everyone thinks of community as something that should be free and it's not, it shouldn't, and you should charge what your worth is. Oh, let's dig in. (laughs) The entree (laughs) is here. So anybody listening, we didn't mention this, but I'm going to mention Tatiana is, is it called a circle expert? What is the actual title? Okay. It's circle expert. (laughs) Circle expert. Perfect. Well, I mean, it, it makes sense. So Tatiana is a circle expert, which means in circles, member community, well, one, you do all sorts of, you do programming in there with them, but also you are literally a circle expert. So you can help people build a circle community wicked smartly. So I am sure you could describe it better than I just hobbled that together. But is there anything I'm missing? No, it makes sense. I I love Circle. When Circle came out, it was the tool that I had been waiting for. So I love their team. And yeah, it's been fun being a Circle expert and seeing how they're growing. Yay. Okay. So with that, I know like you've been doing like some pricing workshops and, and education there. And even um, some of our events, like we recently did the CX day with circle and so many people are asking like, Oh, well, should I start it free and then charge a membership later? And all of us were just like, no, 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 no. That's a terrible experience. And you're setting yourself up for disaster. Do you talk, talk to me a little, yeah, (laughs) red flags. Talk to me a little bit about, and, and especially for people listening who are probably juggling the same, you know, conflict where it's like, well, I want to start this thing, but I want people to join. Maybe I should make it free. And then once I have more people, then I can add a tier that's paid or all these things. And it's, let's talk about that and why you should not do that. Well, I hear what you just said a lot, and it's just a flawed assumption. You assume that I'll just start this free community. Everyone is going to love it. And then I can later offer something that's paid. Then I'll have a pool of people to convert to paid. That does not work in my experience for many reasons. One, when someone joins a community, they're already overwhelmed with what's happening in the community. They already can't keep up with the content that's there. So 
if you are going to offer them more community, but they have to pay for it this time, they're not in the right state of mind to buy more community and get more overwhelmed with what you're offering. So it's just for this kind of product, the freemium, I just haven't seen it work for that reason, because people are already feeling like they're not going to enough events and not participating as much as they'd like if you have a good free community. Um, People should feel that way when they're in the community. It should be something that they do when they have time, but they might not always have time. And that's a good feeling. Um, So there's that. The other reason is when you're doing something free, the customer that is going to join when it's free is a different customer that is going to join when it's paid. So you're building two separate communities for potentially two separate customers. It kind of gives you a red herring. So it's the wrong customer that you're building the free community for, but it seems like it's working. So it seems like this is who you should be building your paid community for. And then they might be asking you for certain things, for certain events or whatever, certain offers for your community, different things that they want you to do. And you might be believing them and you might be like building a community for those people when they may not actually be your customer. So not only are you like building an extra community, but it's taking you off track from the one that you should actually be building. Oh my gosh. Can I get an amen? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. Thank you. And, and, and I get why people kind of go there because it's a lack of confidence in whatever it is they want to provide, or they want to start it now, but down the road, we'll add this and that, and that that's worth charging. And exactly what you're saying, you're, you're making so much more work for yourself. How would you suggest for someone who's kind of in this analysis paralysis, what alternative do you suggest for people to do? Maybe this person is coming to you and they don't have a big audience. So this, it's, it's a concern that makes sense. You want to do something, offer something so that people can start to get to know you and eventually buy something from you. It's a legitimate question. The freemium model has been out there for a while. So I understand why people do it this way. And it's also communities have a chicken and egg problem. You want to join a community that's already a community. You don't want to join a community where there's nobody there yet. So what I suggest is you think about your ideal member growth journey. So your ideal community, when they come to you to join your community, what is the problem that they have? And then what is the common journey that the people who are in the community have? And what does that look like once they're ready to like, let's say, graduate your community, which doesn't have to be at any time soon, but thinking about like, what is this ideal future that your ideal member sees? And then what I recommend if you're just getting started, you don't have a big audience is that you design some kind of fixed offer for them that's maybe like a three to six month thing that doesn't exactly center community, but it could. It could just be like very hosted by you. So you're very involved in the community. So it should be paid and it should be close to, or it could even be more than what you eventually want to charge for your community if it's going to be a membership and you're charging per month. So thinking about what their growth journey is, what do they need and what can you provide for them in the next three months? And community almost comes as a bonus to whatever else you're you're providing them because then you're taking the pressure off of 
already having this thriving community where people are helping each other because you're solving their problem in some other way. So those ways can be like, let's say you host a challenge where you're all coming together and you're all holding each other accountable for going running every day. And that could be what you're doing. And you're offering like them a place to track what they're doing. You have regular events where you're like telling them how to run or whatever it is that you're offering in those 30 days in that month or whatever. So that's one. Another way of doing it is doing some kind of like virtual retreat or virtual summit where you invite other people to to speak about it has to be specifically about this growth journey that your members are on. So it can't just be like making a list of people who are like wanted to see this person speak. It has to be specifically on the the growth journey that your community is eventually going to have. And that is a good thing to do for multiple reasons, one of which hopefully you can get some of those people's audiences to come over to to you and to get to know what you're doing in the community. So that's another way of doing it. But it could be also a course, obviously. A course is another way of doing something like this. I also like, again, suggest people get really creative with this kind of stuff. Like what is something that you can offer to people now, like in-person is coming back? Like, what does that look like? Is it like a real life retreat? And then from there, the community can grow out of something like that. And it'll already have some momentum because you'll already be solving that problem for people. That's so genius. (laughs) Your course must just be fire. I mean, usually at the end, you know, we do like, oh, where can people find you? But let's just pause for a sec. Where is this course located? I need the link. Okay. It's buildacommunitybusiness.com is the course. And everything I've been talking about is in this course, basically. The idea of it is really like come experience community as a way to learn about community and then build it for yourself. So it is a cohort. There's a four-week cohort that you kick off with. But then you get access to the community and everything else for an entire year. So as you're implementing what you learn through the course, you're also in accountability groups and meeting up with people within the community, partnering with other people in there, seeing what other people are doing, getting inspiration from from other communities. It's a full year experience to, to help you as you launch, relaunch, decide to double your price, whatever it is that your, your goal is. It's really fun. The community is really awesome. And yeah. Oh, I love this. There's so (laughs) many things I want to talk about. So say someone goes through the whole year and they want to stay in your community. Do you offer that? I haven't. So it hasn't been a full year for anyone yet. (laughs) It's going to be a year in September. And I have ideas on what to do because I did a year because I also suggest other people do this. You don't know how it's going to be to run a community. So just give people an end date. I'm not a big fan of like lifetime membership or anything like that. I think it's good to have a time when you're reassessing. Okay, do I want to be a part of this group? Otherwise, there can be some awkward moments in there. So anyway, so that's what I did. I wanted to try it for a year and see how it would go. I do want to have some way for people to stay on past the year because I still think that we're getting value from each other. And we're also adding a ton of content to the course and making a lot of updates. So I think people are still getting value from being in there. It's not, community building is not really something that you just learn and then you're done. (laughs) 
I do want some way for people to stay on there. That's awesome. And I also love, so since you obviously are very skilled in helping people with pricing, it's fun to see your pricing and specifically that you have, you know, the option to pay for a person, but then an additional person, it's a lower rate for an additional team member. Is this something you recommend for just community builders in general to have different kind of pricing options, not necessarily like payment plans versus paying full, but like an add-on person or any sort of other like a la carte add-ons? Yeah. The reason we have that option is because a lot of people were asking if they could, it was community founders that were taking the course and they were asking if they could invite the community manager or like they wanted other people on their team to have access to the content. And I also had a lot of community managers reaching out to me um, and um, asking me to help convince their boss to get the course. You know what I mean? I also started feeling like the content was more likely to stick if we had those two people in the room versus one or the other, which is like always my priority. I'm like, any time that I can see that someone's implementing the thing that they learned, like that's a joyful moment for me. So in order to increase those, I, I found that I wanted to encourage more people to join as a team. I didn't think about doing that from the beginning. It was something that I was seeing happening. And so we adapted based on what was happening. I mean, I always recommend to to do it that way, like see where the demand is and then kind of design around it, ask a lot of questions around it. Yeah, for sure. It's amazing. Your community will often tell you. And if you're paying attention, like you said, like you start seeing trends, you're like, I've gotten three emails in this last like cohort round about this. I'm going to pay attention to see, is this something to add? I'm curious. I love your model. And I think a lot of people do too. Like a lot of people are interested in this kind of cohort to community model. And there's something really special about cohorts, right? Like you can get a group of people and they become pretty close, pretty fast. Like it's a very fast way to form those relationships. Have you found, especially because you've done a few cohorts now, do they kind of stick together after the course is done, but they're in the community? Is there kind of a cruise, if you will? They do stick together because they know each other a little bit better because they've been in more, yeah, because of that intensive cohort experience. What I started to do a little bit more intentionally is integrate the cohorts a little bit better. So for the next cohort we're doing, the last event of the cohort is actually going to be open to the whole community. And it's going to be basically like planning your next three months in your business. So that's relevant to everyone in the community. And that's where we start splitting up accountability groups based on what people are focused on for their next quarter or next season is how we, we talk about it. So yeah, so this time, both the, the first event of the cohort, we invite the people in the community to come and welcome in the new people. And then the last event, we invite them in again as a way to kind of like start meshing with the with the rest of the group and mixing them up. I love that. What other, I guess, kind of like strategic things does your team do to get those cohorts to be so tight in general? Do they have like any identifiers that's like, we're this cohort? Like we do quarterly enrollments. And so those are like enrollment cohorts. And we have very unique names such as Q222. <laughs> but you know everyone has a, a badge on their that that says which cohort they enrolled in and of course our founding members have a special founding badge 
but even just that, having that visual, and then of course they pick an emoji that represents them. So in a Zoom call, like a bunch of unicorn heads will go flying because that's one cohort's designated, you know, mascot, if you will. Do y'all do anything similar to kind of give them a, do they get emojis? <laughs> we haven't done enough of like fun names. The The accountability groups at first had animal names with like the animal emoji. For the cohorts themselves, we call them the by the season. So spring cohort, summer cohort, things like that. I like the ideas that you have, but I think cohorts are a great opportunity to like, they're kind of a, their own small group. Um, so like the Q222, that's, that can be like a small group. And I like the idea of thinking about how to, um, yeah, like continue to build the relationships between the people. The thing that they have in common is that they joined at the same time. And like, what does that, what does that look like when you, you come to the party at the same time? It's fun. I love talking to different community builders about how they do just the little things like that. You know, our masterminds started as fruits <laughs> and then became vegetables because we were naming them and we we're trying to do stuff that was just totally tomato versus if it was something like Colorado avalanche, you know, like something that I'd be like, yeah, hockey. Not that I'm not that I'm a sports person, but, you know, but someone else would be like, ew, I, you know, I like the Steelers. That's a different, that's a totally different kind of sport. Everyone can tell how much I just did NHL and NFL sports, y'all <laughs> sport ball. I don't know what I'm talking about, but hopefully it makes sense as far as you want to pick like names that aren't offensive, but also just aren't like, I don't know. It's such a tightrope to walk where it's like, I want this group to have a cute name, but I also don't want anybody to like hate it. But I think it's good. It gives them an identity. So I always say any like naming things in communities is always a good idea because, you know, these people just met, they can't call each other friends yet because they have, haven't even spoken. So if you can give them a placeholder, like, oh, we're all bananas, then, then they'll become friends and then they'll just be friends and it's fine. But the, the placeholder, I think, is an important thing. It's fun. Yeah. And some of them, some of them come up with their own names. We recently had a group start and they decided to call themselves the inchworms, which I think is hilarious because they're (laughs) inching along with their progress, you know, and it's like, that's cute. And they came up with it. I, yeah, it's funny. I love all those little chances to like, whether it's just something silly or just something light to bring in to a a group or just into community in general. I think just let help getting people to let their guard down, especially something like mastermind groups. Like you think, oh, business entrepreneurship, like this is my mastermind. It's very serious. And it's like, actually it can be fun. Like let's frame this as like, yeah, you're going to, it's an, it's accountability. It's all these things, but it's fun. Like we should be having fun, especially in our businesses. Like what is the point of life if we're that serious? (laughs) Sliding down the friendship funnel. Yeah. (laughs) The friendship slide. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, we'll start a community theme park. <laughs> what a great idea. Oh my God. You're full of Come them ride the friendship train. <laughs> yep. Full of ideas. Not all of them make sense. That's my motto. Makes sense to me. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, I mean, I'm in, I've got it mapped out in my head. Gosh, I could just, we could just go forever and ever. Is there any other, before we go to a, a rapid fire of very difficult math questions, <laughs> <laughs> is there anything else that that we should that we should gab about any uh 
hot community goss you've heard that you want to share on the pod? Mm. <laughs> I don't know if I have any hot community goss. I know. I don't either. Although, well, actually, <laughs> yes, I do. So at the time of this recording, Elon Musk is still trying to buy Twitter. Like he's like, they've agreed, but mm. it isn't dry on the, the ink isn't dry on the paper, if you will. And it's interesting because so I think a lot of us are connected on Twitter. There's a lot of community builders on Twitter and we're all kind of in the same conversations, which I love. But with this, you know, and whatever people believe, you know, that's that's fine. But um, there's been a few people saying like, hmm, where should we go? Like the community crew, right? Like some people are like, I kind of want to get, should we go to Telegram? Should we do this? Should we do that? I'm curious. Have you seen, well, have you have you seen those conversations and are you... Are you going anywhere? You staying on Twitter? What are your thoughts? Great question. I don't know. I'm I'm gonna wait and see, Elon Musk wise. But in general, I don't trust social media. I mean, I think the whole thing we're doing is to like recreate a different little world that doesn't feel bad, that doesn't have as much FOMO, that moves a little bit slower, that doesn't like try to sell you things all the time. So I don't know. I think the communities I try to design are the opposite of Twitter anyway, like regardless of what's going on 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 Twitter, like they should, I don't know, be nerdier and be more cozy and feel just feel good. Unlike a lot of social media does. I don't have like a a prediction or I'm not sure exactly what's going to happen. I know that personally, I go through great lengths to limit my time on social media. I don't have apps on my phone. I deleted Instagram from my phone like two years ago and it like changed my whole life in a way I totally didn't expect. So now I also deleted Twitter from my phone. I didn't delete my account from any of the social medias, but I'm really mindful of how they affect who I am in the world and how my brain works. So I really try to, to limit it, but yeah, but as business owners, they are a great platform for you to meet new people, to come to your community and to, to like interact with you. And also I meet a ton of friends on Twitter. So I don't know, there's always like both sides to things, but I, yeah, I'm not under any illusions that Twitter is good now or will be good in the future. (laughs) Or was ever. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) It's just Twitter. Interesting. Yeah. I'm kind of, I want to like maintain, and I only use Twitter for the sake of like this role really. And like having some sort of like social proof to be like, yeah, I do actually work in community and have thoughts about it, but I don't use it that often. Like, candidly, but I have really enjoyed the connections with other community builders and kind of that piece of it. And I like that other people who maybe aren't in what I consider like the core group, but are either getting into community or are a community manager and they don't have support, you know, like they got into the role and they're, they're very much in the silo of their company, but they don't have like outside community builders to talk to. I like that it's easy to get in. And of course, we're very welcoming, right? So I don't want that part of it to go away. I actually really like Twitter too, for that reason. I feel like I get to see how people think and I get to connect with them um, based on that. And I don't know if 
to me, it's, it's always felt good, but again, I don't have it on my phone. I feel like every time I download it on my phone, I feel like I get sucked in and I don't like that feeling anymore. They are doing some stuff to our brains, but I do, I think it's a net positive, at least on Twitter for me. (laughs) Yeah. I only look at Twitter like at work. I'll go check it to see if I have notifications or I'll like scroll to see if there's any cool things happening in community, but otherwise I'm, I could care less. (laughs) That's great. Yeah. I wish I could say the same about TikTok. Oh, see, this is, I can't download TikTok. I need, I need to take that off my phone. Don't, don't. It's like that algorithm is terrifyingly good. (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking about deleting everything. All right. Well, let's move to rapid fire. I don't want to keep you too much over. I apologize. No problem. So Tatiana, when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? So many things. I used to want to be a scientist. I was really into animals and stars and just like, I also collected rocks So I went through like a whole phase where I I like knew I wanted to do something with science or something with animals. (laughs) I love it. How do you define community? Community is a group of people who come together to nurture their own and one another's growth. To me, growth is a really big part of community. Absolutely. That question is like the hardest, easy question out there. And that I asked, so you're, you're off to a great start. Tatiana, what is something on your bucket list for life that you have done? Oh, I remember this question. I should have <laughs> thought about an answer. When I was in sales, I traveled a lot and I made a lot of friends in lots of different countries. And I feel really lucky to have gotten the, the opportunity to do that like pretty early on in my career. My territories were Asia, Eastern Europe, Africa, and Latin America. So I was always traveling. When I had more energy to like get on planes and travel a lot, I was able to, which, which I'm really grateful for. That's amazing. And then the flip side, what is something on your bucket list that you haven't done yet? Yeah, totally opposite. I want to buy like a big farmhouse in the middle of the woods and just live in the middle of the woods with hopefully strong internet so I can still connect with people on the internet. And animals and rocks and stars. Exactly. I'm with you, I'm with you on we that. We never yeah. give up on our childhood dreams. <laughs> I still pick up rocks. I feel it. Yeah. It's like, of course, the pretty rock. It's coming home. What is like a top book that you love and think everyone should read? So my definition of community that I gave you is based on a quote that I read in a Bell Hooks book called All About Love. So that's the definition of love that she uses. That quote derives from her definition of love. And that book is so cozy and so nice to read. I highly recommend it. And Bell Hooks passed away, I guess, within the last year and I reread it after she did. And oh my God, it was highly recommended. All right. We know you, you've traveled all over. You've lived in amazing places. If you could live anywhere else, obviously you want your farmhouse in the woods, but like, <laughs> like location wise, if you could live anywhere else, where would it be? Mm, maybe somewhere I haven't been. 
I don't know, Jillian. I'd love to try to live somewhere cold like you do, where it snows a lot of the year. I've been like enjoying winter. I was born in winter, but in Brazil where it wasn't, it's not quite snowy or anything like that. And I've been, I don't know, I've been enjoying winter more and more in the last few years and like the the opportunity to like slow down and be cold for a little while and be cozy by a fire. So maybe, yeah, maybe somewhere snowy. Yeah. Well, come on down. Um, and <laughs> And final question, Tatiana, how do you want to be remembered? I want to be remembered as someone who went her whole life trying to become more herself. This is what my wish is for the people I work with. And this is what I think about literally every day. Am, Am I like discovering more parts of myself, my becoming more of who I'm supposed to be. And that's, that's, that's what I want to be remembered for. I love it. That's beautiful. <laughs> oh, well, Tatiana, this has been so fun. I feel like we went down the best tangents and I think <laughs> had conversations that a lot of people in community are either thinking about or talking about. So I, I think this was a great opportunity to, bring those discussions out into the public a little more because, you know, pricing is scary for a lot of us and all the other things too, right? Let's do what I asked you to do mid interview, but where can people find you on the internet? Yeah, I'm on social media as, um, after we like talked about social media as being evil for so long, I tweet sometimes my handle is top fig, T-A-T-F-I-G. My course is buildacommunitybusiness.com. And I also write a newsletter that is free and that's at businessofcommunity.co. We didn't even talk about the newsletter. We'll have to do another (laughs) episode. (laughs) That's a whole other juicy topic. Um, This has been wonderful. Thank you so much for being on the show. It's been a delight. I've loved getting to know you outside of this podcast as well. Um, So super delighted to have you here. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. And that is the interview with Tatiana of Business of Community. Wow. She's so great. Don't you think? I love what she's doing. It's so important right now. And I, I just want to go do her cohort just to lurk and see, because it's just great. Just great. So let's talk about freemium because in my notes, and I recall our conversation, but in my notes, I have freemium is trash. So the end. (laughs) <laughs> Kidding. I, I am sure there are some fringe use cases for it. But yeah, you know, if you are launching, growing a community, especially if you're just starting out, I know there's an urge to, oh, I'll just, I'm going to do it for free and people will see like what a great value it is. And then I'll introduce pricing. And what Tatiana said about those are two different customers, the ones that'll come in for the free and the ones that'll pay like, yes. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's your community, do whatever you want, but going to tell you, save yourself some time and follow that advice if you are in that position. And I'm curious, anybody who's done it successfully, if you have 
shout us out on the tweets, the Twitter um, at Team SPI and loop Tatiana into at Tatfig, T-A-T-F-I-G, because, yeah, I mean, I'm sure someone's done it successfully. I'd love to talk to you if you have, but I agree with Tatiana that you should always have people put money on the table, even if it's not a ton. And even if it's definitely set up to be like, this is an introductory price and you get this for this long by paying, at least then if you add something or create a tier or whatever, you already like just the psychological impact of having someone put money on the table for something. It changes down the road when you want them to renew and if there's an opportunity to upsell. And this isn't to take advantage of people. You should be paid for your time, for one thing. We need to all stop expecting each other to do free labor. There's a difference between providing value and, you know, like the serve first mentality and just giving away the farm. You want to set the expectation. Like if your intention is to make money and it's not like, oh, because I'm going to go buy a yacht. It's going to be, oh, so that I can actually spend time on this, so that I can afford to do this thing, right? Nine times out of 10, that's the reality. So don't think I'm coming from a money grab place. I am absolutely not. That is not a great way to start a community and that will probably fail because you're not in it for the right reason. So with that caveat in place, let's continue with, you know, you should value the work you do. And yeah, you can have free this or that, but for community in particular, if your ultimate goal is a membership community where people pay, you need to start with that, even if it's five bucks. Anyways, I will get off my soapbox. What else should we talk about about Tatiana? I love what she was saying about what can you offer and then have the community grow around that or grow, build upon that. So many people are like, yeah, community, I want to do that, but I don't really know what it would be or how it should start, et cetera. And so again, coming up with a a specific amount of time, a cohort, a period that you set from the beginning of this is what we're going to do in this community through this time. I mean, even Tatiana was saying she very intentionally meet with her course and the cohorts and the model you pay for a year because then if it's just not working out or she finds a different model or whatever that she wants to do, she's not going back on a promise. You pay for a year access to her community. And if at the end of that year, she's decided to change her business model, you're not going to really have a issue because the expectation was set from day one versus if you give people lifetime access, lifetime, what does that mean? You know, like lifetime of your business, lifetime of their aliveness, right? So certainly something to think about. I know a lot of us give lifetime access to courses. And if that is a evergreen content that sits on a third-party platform that people can purchase and access, I think that's a very different promise than lifetime access to a community. And also protect yourself. That's a, that's a great way to protect boundaries, by saying, hey, you get access for this amount of time. At that amount of time, we might have the option to renew or that might be it because you might need to not do that anymore. And it's okay. So set yourself up for success. I think those are the big things for me. What about you? Let me know. Team SPI on Twitter. And if you enjoyed this episode, other episodes, I would love it if you would give us an outstanding and over the top. I'd love a positive review on Apple 
podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, we are realizing that we need to ask people for reviews because we haven't had one in a while. So if you're listening to this, I'd love a review. And yeah, with that, this is the episode this week. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got some value out of it and I will see you next Tuesday. Learn more about Tatiana at her website, totfig.com, T-A-T-F-I-G.com. There you can subscribe to her newsletter, learn more about the Build a Community course and about her coaching and consulting or head directly to buildacommunitybusiness.com. Go check it out. You can also find Tatiana on the socials. Again, it's at totfig. How cute is that? T-A-T-F-I-G. Your lead host for the community experience is me, Jillian Benbow. Our executive producer is Matt Gartland. Our senior producer is David Grabowski. And our editor is Paul Gregoris. Sound editing by Duncan Brown. Theme music by David Grabowski. See you next Tuesday.